Welcome to the Changemakers podcast brought to you by Graf Martin Integrated Marketing Solutions for Good. This season, we're focusing on what nonprofit leadership looks like in this next normal. I'm your host, Ellen Graf Martin, and each episode, you'll get to join me in conversation with some of my friends and peers in the Canadian nonprofit space who are changemakers and groundbreakers across Canada and beyond. Let's jump in. Stacey Campbell, welcome to the Changemakers podcast. I am so glad that we get to do this, um, not just as friends, but as kind of colleagues and uh, co, not co-leaders, but leader friends <laughs> um, and both home cooks who love to try new things. So I'm really excited to get to introduce you to um, our listeners today and so that they can get to know more about what you do and who you are. Um, so let's start by saying, who are you and what do you do? Well, it's great to uh, great to be here with you, Ellen. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me. So, uh, yeah, I'm uh, I'm Stacy Campbell, and and uh, and who am I? Uh, I came into uh, certainly came into this uh, space. I I'm a, a wife um, and and a mother of uh, of two kids, two um, nearly adult children, and um, and came into prison fellowship um, about about 11 years ago now. And, uh, and the work uh, that we do there is working um, inside 120 of the uh, institutions across Canada and working with offenders and, and, um, and then ex-offenders as they leave, uh, leave the prisons and jails and working with their families and their children and working with victims. So mm. kind of a full spectrum in the, uh, in the Ministry of Reconciliation. Mm. Oh, that's so good. So, okay, now you know that I have a bit of a criminal. We're flip backwards. I had I started in criminology and ended up in marketing. You right. started in marketing, <laughs> ended up in prison ministry. Um, but why do you? So I say this very tongue in cheek, but also real realistically, yeah. why do you care about criminals? Like, why do you care about people who have been put in prison for a crime? Certainly, I, I accept it as something that God has put on my heart, that, that um, on my own, I would not have come there. Um, I didn't want to go <laughs> when, I, uh, when I first entered into the prison and I first entered in, into prison ministry. It was really reluctantly, um, and it was something, something that I was uh, called to do. Immediately loved it. Uh, once I got there, but it was a real battle for me to uh, to get there, and and I love the work because it is complex and it's enduring and it's long fought, um, and I guess there's uh, and and there's satisfaction in that there's richness in uh, mm -hmm. in the work, mm -hmm. and there's, there's disappointment too. There's a redeeming. I think. Personally, I think what an opportunity to see God's redemption in a new way. Um, not always, but yeah, that disappointment. Why do you, what do you love about it? Tell us like, what is the moment that makes you go? Yes, I'm supposed to do this. I love this job. For me, um, one of the first things that, that I implemented coming into the leadership position is that we would all as a staff uh, spend half a day a week in the prison. Um, so that we wouldn't be, we'd never get ensnared making uh, lofty 
Mm. programs for these lofty ideas that we had, but that we'd actually have our feet on the ground and we'd know what we were um, doing. So now for 11 years, um, with the exception of uh, COVID, um, I've been in the institution every, mm-hmm. uh, every week over that period of time. And I think when somebody, I think what I absolutely love, my best days are when you, when you watch someone understand their value. Mm. Um, understand the value we understand the value of a soul but when they understand that they have value um that's where transformation really starts to take hold and yes there's grief and there's remorse and there's and there's a lot of difficulty trauma and pain and and so much regret to work uh to work through but for someone to discover that they have value that's what i love And over this last season, I mean, the news about our prison system has been, we're letting people go, which makes people mad. (laughs) Um, Or our prisons are extremely vulnerable in the COVID crisis. So obviously, that has changed your role as well. And so what are you doing now? Like, how do you do this? COVID's changed everything. But what what do you do now? It did, and I'll and I'll try to uh, I'll try to explain this without using those overused words <laughs> that we all know, like pivot and, and yeah, yeah, uh, and things. So, so it just shifted our our emphasis into the aftercare ministry. Is um, so we have a we run a program called Bridge Care that works with people as they leave prison. We journey alongside them for for three to eighteen months. Uh, our primary client is someone who's earnestly wanting to continue or or begin a relationship um, in in the faith community and and to know more about who Jesus Christ is, um, and and we recognize that it's difficult to be um, to be in prison one day um, for a crime and to be sitting in a pew the following Sunday. Mm-hmm. That's, that's really difficult for both both sides. So so we run this bridge care program. Um, match people. Um, it, there's a very much a, a matching up process that uh, that happens, and match them to a team who works with them for three to eighteen months as they as they um, get rooted and transitioned into a healthy um, into a healthy community um, where it's safe for them and it's and it's safe for the uh, the community. So that work quadrupled um or more in terms of uh in terms of what we were Mm. doing because it literally took our entire uh volunteer base out of the out of the prison and Mm. out of the uh and out of the jails we're starting back now in some of the provinces uh they're they're opening up again so oh that's so good well and i i assume that there is a barrier i mean this is my criminology memories coming back. But, you know, one of the things we talked about is when you're in prison and you come out, the changes that have been just, you know, as we go for people who are on the outside, um, people who are on the inside haven't experienced those, like using an ATM that looks totally different and not knowing how to use a bank card. So in my thinking, when church goes online, if you are recently released from jail and you don't have access to a laptop or the internet, um, how do you stay rooted 
in a relationship with church or God or any of those things? Yeah, that that's a great question, Ellen. And so and so, what happens is um, really it's that it's that bridge care team uh, that is getting together, that is going to read the scriptures, going to pray with you, and and in some ways it's a it's a purer, more one on one. journey for that individual that, that's kind of custom custom to them and and acclimates them into um into that into that culture that is a really important role i just want to thank you for doing that that bridge care so and i know we'll say this at the end but if anyone is interested in volunteering or participating in prison fellowship how do they how do they do that yep so go just at our website which is www.prisonfellowship.ca and there you'll see the uh, the volunteer button and click on that and, and it'll lead you through uh, lead you through the whole process. Because I do think um, there will be people who are listening and are interested in that and have maybe found this too scary mm-hmm. <laughs> in the past. Absolutely. What, what would you say to that person who is like, this sounds really important. I'm so scared. I could never do this. You know what? That's my story too. I'm not kidding you. I did not want to do prison ministry when I first got started. Okay, so tell us your story. <laughs> and and uh, and there you are. And I remember the first day, um, two first days I had in 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 two separate in- institutions. One was was in the Hamilton institution, and I, I, I'm just going to be honest, Ellen. It was I'm not proud of myself, but being in that in that waiting room and. And there was a prisoner who came in and he was sweeping up and obviously had been sent to clean in that area. And he was there in his, in his orange jumpsuit. And, and I was just thinking, ugh, yuck, not for me. And, and I knew I was about to walk onto the range and I just prayed, God, if, if this is what you're really calling me to, you've got to give me a heart for this. And as I walked onto the range and, and looked up into the, uh, looked up into the range, it, it just settled in my heart this, uh, from Psalm 68. Uh, I will be a father to the fatherless. Will you show them the father? Mm. And I was just grasped. Um, and that was at my first tour. The first time that I was going in to actually do uh, lead a Bible study and, and work with a group was at the um, Vanier Center for Women. And I was so fearful. I was going into protective custody that day. And I was so fearful of sitting in a room by myself with the, um, with a group of, uh, of offenders and, and throwing up. Um, I mean, I was terrified and, um, but went, uh, went, went in and sat down and asked my first question. And that just sealed the deal for me right from, Mm. from that moment on, um, I just loved it. I just loved it. Do you remember what that question was or the essence of it? Or is it wiped from your memory because you were paralyzed with fear? No, my first question was, who is God to you? Mm. Yeah, who is God to you? And and as we went around the circle, each woman, it, it, this is a, uh, um, an interesting thing too. Each woman gave an answer. Oh, he's my, he's my best friend. I'm reading in this scripture. Um, here's my prayer journal. I brought a copy of my prayer journal to share with you. This is who Jesus is to me. 12 women all the way around the circle. And, and it wasn't really till later that I realized that was God's grace to me, mm-hmm. that they were all Christian, because that is not representative of, of, mm-hmm. of what's typical. Um, mm-hmm. But I had come from this kind of sheltered Christian community and, and um, 
speaking Christianese and and really not being able to operate too much outside of that and and uh, yeah, prison ministry certainly has changed uh, changed that. But but I do look back at that and say that was God's grace uh, to me that day. So you came from, so I mentioned that we come from that flip opposite. <laughs> so I studied criminology and thought I would work in the rehabilitation of female offenders um, because I just had that so deep on my heart, knowing that the crimes that most women were imprisoned for were non-payment of fines for things like prostitution and that there were a whole range of other issues like attachment, trauma, FAS, um, you know, there was a whole bunch of other pieces to that. So that's why I wanted to end it up that I work in marketing. Like I had this deep on my heart. I have no idea why God is doing this. Now you had a marketing agency (laughs) and you got into prison fellowship. And I feel like you would really care about those things. You're studying attachment and trauma right now. And so tell me, like, how did that happen? I know mine is a weird story, but how is yours a weird story? (laughs) You know, it just it just came. Um, there's two parts for me. There's two parts to that uh, story. When I was 15 years old, Ellen, I took my first job um, working as a receptionist for a real estate development office in in Mississauga, and and the uh, it was a, and they were a, a group of Christians. I had just become a Christian, um, and and they gave office space to a new ministry starting up in Canada, and it was Prison Fellowship. So we shared the common spaces, uh, you know, washrooms, the photocopy room, uh, the lunchroom, that type of thing. And, and where I really connected with Prison Fellowship was I had come in uh, one day after school and, and announced to the whole office that, you know, so I was in grade nine and I announced that uh, some boy in, in uh, grade 12 was going to pay me 50 bucks to write his English essay. <laughs> and the then director of Prison Fellowship um, you know, kind of motion toward for me to, to come toward him. And he said, um, we're going to meet in my office and I'm going to tell you why you're not going to get the 50 bucks and why you're not going to write the essay. (laughs) (laughs) And we stayed in touch through the years. His name was Ian Stanley and and he was the executive director of, of prison fellowship at the time. So we never talked about prison ministry. We never talked about prison fellowship, but we did meet every Friday at, at, um, uh, for a for a, a a brief period of time, and really he was my first spiritual mentor. Mm-hmm. Um, so then you fast forward all these years later, and um, and um, working in the um, in, in the marketing company, but ju- I had worked there for a long time. By the time I left, I'd worked there for twenty five years, and uh, had worked there a long time, and was just looking for something else, and and uh, decided I wanted to go back to school. I was going to continue working, but I wanted to, to go back to school. And it was prison ministry uh, mm-hmm. that, that just kept coming to my, um, to my heart. Interesting, I was arguing with myself at the time between going back to do a master's of law or going back to do a master's of, uh, of divinity and ended up at the crossroads of both anyways, but I did, <laughs> uh, did choose the divinity route. And um, yeah, and it was just prison ministry. Every course I took, what would this look like in a prison? How would this help offenders how are we um how are we implementing or facilitating the ministry of reconciliation and it just wouldn't leave me Mm -hmm. and um and so that's how I ended up here okay so you've mentioned the ministry of reconciliation a couple of times what is the ministry of reconciliation 
So other than um, other than being a scriptural, um, obviously a scriptural reference that we're that we're called to that we've been left with, um, you know, that we've been left with that. To me, if I were going to explain it, it's this um, it's almost a three stage piece where where you demonstrate an awareness of somebody else that you see them. Um, God sees us. We see we see that person. Mm-hmm. That means listening. That means um, noticing, beginning to speak in, and then there's this this posture shift into an alongsidedness, where you really do come along and commit to somebody and and walk alongside of them um, in a wise way and with 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 biblical wisdom and with insight that you put into their life, a lot of listening um, of where, of where they are and, and then continuing on um, uh, through, through that transformation. It's, it's a, it's a dynamic work. It's never the Mm -hmm. same uh, one person to another, but, um, but we're trying to, you know, you're trying to balance um, something that's very, that's very unbalanced and, um, ideally somebody comes to a, uh, a knowledge of Christ and, and accepts Christ and, and that becomes a part of their life. And, and mm. so you're a midwife, you're looking for the on-ramps, um, you know, all of those, all of those kind of metaphors and postures. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what are the biggest barriers, um, to just even getting people to understand how necessary this is? I mean, you have to fundraise, <laughs> You, you're a marketer as well. Um, so how do you communicate the, the need for this? Yeah, it's tough. It's tough. We, um, I think we battle two, two really popular um, thoughts. And, and that is that um, I think they now call it the cancel culture. I think mm-hmm. that's the, I mm-hmm. think that's the word that we give it. Someone, someone does something wrong, um, cancel them lock mm-hmm. them up and throw away the key. That's what cancel sounds like in, in this one. So mm-hmm. we really battle that, um, mm-hmm. lock them up and throw away the key. And, it, and I want to be kind in saying this, but it's, but it's short sighted um, because they are coming back. They are coming back to our communities. If, if we really, really want to live out, um, lock them up and throw away the key, then, it, then life needs to be life. Mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. a sense and we don't do that in uh we don't do that in Canada mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. lock them up and throw away the key is actually not a solution mm-hmm. um what we need is a timeout, and absolutely we need a timeout. and so um so that's one thing um that we ba- um that we battle and the other thing that makes it really really difficult is this all or nothing um this this kind of view that we have that it's all or nothing like somebody e- is either totally restored or or totally ruined um mm-hmm. there's no you know we just we just have this this or that um mm-hmm. i have in my office a little um framed ampersand that says and um mm-hmm. because it's all in like it's all of these things mm-hmm. it's the, and it's the bad it's the ugly and it's the beautiful it's the mm-hmm. it's the redeeming and it's the unredeemed mm-hmm. uh, you know, it, it just uh mm-hmm. it's all in and so those things make it very very difficult people don't want to be associated when you talk about fundraising some mm-hmm. people don't want to be associated 
um, with giving to um, to prison ministry mm-hmm. because it's not um, you know it's not socially acceptable. It's not mm-hmm. a pleasant topic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I ha- I had an argument with a neighbor about is everyone loved by God because I contend that everyone is created and loved by God. And she was like, but how can you say that? And of course, people always love to say, like, how can you say that Hitler was loved by God? (laughs) And I'm like, well, he may not have loved God back, but um, he was loved by God. And I see, I mean, this is my perspective is, I don't know if this is what you'd agree with, that I am them. Like, so these prisoners or the people, I say prisoners, the people who are in prison, um, have been caught for their crimes and their crimes are criminalized. Whereas the things that I do, and I would say these are all sin. <laughs> so my sin, I may not have been caught for and it may not have broken. Well, I break laws. I speed. I do things that are actually, uh, you know, they that I don't intend to necessarily. I would call them just little crimes, but I am them. And so like the same thing, that God thinks about me, he thinks about them, like he is their child. So how do we help people understand that this is not an us and them? <laughs> it is an us. And this is part of our culture. And um, people are in prison, not just because they are bad people, because we are all them. Does that make sense? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And actually you touched on something really good. And that is that um, we see when somebody gets caught for something, the blame is individualized. Mm-hmm. It's that person did that. So you want to take something that's, and this is, this is unpleasant, but you, you take the instance of a rape, uh, for mm-hmm. instance, brutal, what a horrendous thing to, mm-hmm. um, to suffer through. Where is the community responsibility in that when we paint the town square with Calvin Klein ads that are, or, or whomever, that are near pornographic, mm-hmm. and when we do, when we make all the encouragements that we do of young men um, in a sexualized way, way, when we sexualize young girls uh, from a very young age, and then we end up with rape, it is individual, 100%, but it is also a community problem. Mm-hmm. And so where's the collective, where's the collective responsibility mm-hmm. um, for these things? Mm-hmm. And oh, those man. are harder questions. We want the scapegoat, right? Mm-hmm. And, and make no mistake, mm-hmm. the person who, who, who commits the crime does have mm-hmm. to take that responsibility. Mm-hmm. I'm not against that. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, we, if we want to see crime go away, we have to, make a, we have to make, take a much deeper look into mm-hmm. our, our community responsibility. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the beautiful things about prison fellowship is you don't just care for the person who is in prison, but for the family that they represent as well. Um, Angel Tree, is that correct? At Christmas time. So tell us about why that is important. So maybe what you do and how, it, I guess even that will be changing in this season. So what does that look like? So Angel Tree, um, we we currently have two seasons uh, for Angel Tree, Angel Tree Christmas and Angel Tree Camping. And Angel Tree Christmas is, um, it really begins with the, with the prisoner filling out an application to say, I want my child to receive a gift on, on behalf of me. 
it's a $35 gift. It's not, um, it, it's, it's not about the money or the size of the gift. It's about the connection. And, and when uh, volunteers or staff deliver those gifts and you, you know, you see that child and you hand a gift over and say, this is, this is from your dad, or this is from your mom. And, and that child says, they remembered me. Um, it's that they see me. Um, I, I exist. We had a boy this past, um, this past Christmas and his friends were teasing him that he didn't know his dad. He didn't have a dad and he knew that he had, um, a dad in prison, but he hadn't heard from him in years and, uh, and got a gift. Um, and it, and it was just this amazing affirmation for this boy that I belong to someone he does exist he knows I'm here and he's thinking about me so it's really about that um, that connection piece and then what the fruit of that connection is that these children statistically um, if there is a connection uh, between them and the parent they're more likely to go out for after school um, uh, events for sports uh, they're more likely to do better academically um, and and just adjust better than um, if there's just this vacuous mm-hmm. void of um, who am I who do I belong to so mm-hmm. and then camping we do um, this time of year of course and and the camping program is really to get kids into the uh, into the fresh air and outdoors and certainly an opportunity that they would not have in their in their family and and so um, we send them to Christian camps across the across the country and and just to be uh, just to be immersed in that. That also gives the caregiver a break, mm-hmm. a one week uh, break. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So 70, there's 75,000 um, grandparents raising their children's children in, uh, in Canada. 75,000. 75, that's just the grandparents because there grandparents. are other kids in care, a lot of kids in yep. care because yep. of this as well. Yep. A lot of kids in care. Um, you know, a variety of situations. Oftentimes, grandparents aren't prepared for that. There might not be a, a separate bedroom. They might be sleeping on a couch. Um, you've got grandparents on pensions, um, mm-hmm. very small budgets themselves. And, and um, you know, this week mm-hmm. I was I was working with a situation. Grandma's 93, grand, great-grandma is 93, and the child mm-hmm. is seven. Mm-hmm. So... Um, so it uh, helps that child to get out and um, experience the outdoors, learn about how God loves them, mm-hmm. uh, and and gives grandma a break. That is so important because I now my my statistics would be really old, but the number. So I remember that um, the average number of children that each person in prison has is three. Was at the time. Yep. And that represents how many children currently in Canada. Yeah. So we have 357,000 children who are affected by incarceration in in Canada right now. 357,000. Yeah. That is a lot. That's a lot of kids. That's a lot. Yeah. So that's a big ministry opportunity. Uh, um, What has been the hardest about, especially in this season, and I mean, it's been tough. It's been a tough season. So knowing that there are 357,000 children, 75,000 grandparents, I mean, these are, this is a huge segment of our society that is uh, affected. Yeah, that's right. And, and these kids are now isolated at home. Um, They're not getting out to school. 
the grandparents aren't getting a break. Um, other caregivers aren't getting a break. And that, I mean, that's a, that's a unilateral issue that mm-hmm. we have uh, in Canada right now, but, but it is a problem. Um, you know, t- they tend to be lower socioeconomic um, households. There tend to be higher incidences of, of abuse. Um, yeah, it's heartbreaking, Ellen. Are you a nonprofit leader passionate about your organization's mission, but unsure how to communicate it effectively? Do you wish your communications budget went further, that your development and communications teams worked better together, or that you had a stronger plan to find new supporters? At Graf Martin Integrated Marketing Solutions for Good, we get it. With you in mind, we've custom built solutions for nonprofit organizations to make your message have more impact, reach further and connect with the right people for years to come. Schedule your free consultation by emailing solutions at grafmartin.com. Again, that's solutions at grafmartin.com. Oh, Stacy. So <laughs> what are the new things that you, what are the things you have learned during this season? Um, or what are you picking up is another way to say that. So what are the things that you're like, I need to start doing this because that's a big thing. You, you carry a heavy load in that ministry. So when you add global pandemic on top of that and a cause that people misunderstand. (laughs) I'm so glad I can be your friend. (laughs) When I put all that together, I'm so glad I can be your friend. But But tell me what, what have you, I guess one question is what have you stopped doing and what have you picked up? And one of my friends actually describes it like a game of 52 pickup. So during this pandemic, it was like all the cards got thrown up in the air yeah. and they're all on the floor and we get to choose which ones we leave behind and which ones we pick up. So which, what have you learned? What are you picking up and what do you want to leave behind? Yeah, it's, it's it, this kind of situation. This is going to sound weird, but this kind of situation is actually geared for my leadership style. Um, so, so it's been, it's been great in that way because I love, I love to build a structure, but then have complete flexibility. Then take a, take a look at what's going on and what do we need at this time? And so that, that shifting is not, um, it's not a problem for me and it's not a problem for our team. Um, we very much are, are um, you know, the five-year strat plan is out the window. We're doing the 30-day strat plan. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, and so that, that's fine. It's just taking a look at what's going on now. And, and given what our mission is, what's the best mm-hmm. way for us to, to go forward? And I think what we're going to take out of this is this has forced, forced us into that 30-day um, you know, purview of, of, of Mm -hmm. looking at things. Mm -hmm. Why, why would we ever do a five year? Um, You know, it just, how do you respond to the culture and what's actually, what's actually going on with a five year? It doesn't mean Mm -hmm. we won't do a five year again, build that structure, but then much more frequent reviews of, are we accomplishing our mission? How Mm -hmm. are we accomplishing our mission? What do we need to shed in order to Mm -hmm. accomplish our mission? What do we have to add? And and so that constant examination. Mm -hmm. One of the things when we had an office was, um, you know, each person would come in and we say good morning and everybody heads off to their office because you know how it is, Ellen, Mm -hmm. in a a ministry, Mm -hmm. you have have more work than you have have hours. And, um, but this, um, more this recent turn of events has put us all on um, on Zoom every morning for half an hour, one hour, and 
wow, has that really helped us to integrate um, mm-hmm. more what, and be in tune mm-hmm. more with, with what each other is doing and, and mm-hmm. be more focused and, and move the ball down the field a lot, um, a lot faster. We ended, up, um, we ended up installing a 1-800 line, if you can believe mm. it, in, in some of the prisons that um, is there just for prisoners to call us. We would have never, we would have never done that because we have our program spot, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but in a program spot, which we will resume, but in a program spot, you're going to see 12 people. That's the maximum that can congregate in a, in a, in a program. So you're going to see 12 people uh, week in, week out with, and and you're going to see them all together in group with this 1-800 line that we've installed. We can now um, facilitate Mm -hmm. up to 105 conversations um, in a week, um, and be available Monday to Friday, 9am to 9pm. So, so the access and, and one-to-one. Mm-hmm. So, so you're able to get to some of those deeper places, those deeper questions, mm-hmm. uh, that, that someone may not want to ask in, in mm-hmm. front of someone else. So, mm-hmm. so that's another thing that came out of this, that we will take, um, that we will take in, in, into, uh, mm-hmm. into the next season. Mm-hmm. And for sure, just this constant, reading of the culture what's mm-hmm. going on what's um mm-hmm. what's really out there mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and what have you let go of is there anything you're like that we used to hold this as precious but right now it doesn't matter I know for uh, there are certain things that we do where, that we were like these were always so precious but it's all in flux right now yeah and they don't matter as much right now yeah and I think we found I think that we have found some of the for sure some of the activities that we do it's it's just not relevant. Mm-hmm. Um, boy, did I mean, it's, I hate that word essential. What's essential and who's essential because mm-hmm. we're all essential. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, um, but um, for sure, there has been a weeding out of, um, of different things, different activities that we've had um, that just don't matter. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's funny. So I tell you this as a long history. So I've actually spent 20 years in ministry at at some level, whether it was five years as a missionary or now 15 years working alongside ministries. But it is hard to get rid of some of those pet projects um, because someone donated toward them at some point and we don't want to let it go. So do you think that this actually is an opportunity? Like we're nice. Christians are nice, right? And so we don't want to disappoint people. But is this an opportunity to actually let some of those things go that you that it is you need to? It is. And you know what adds you know what um what really aids that for us too is not being able to access the building uh, uh day by day. That there are some mm-hmm. things that we can't do that because we can't get to the building to do it. Mm-hmm. And, and so that, uh, that is, that has, has helped that. And it, it really has just focused us, us. Your timing has changed. You know, it, it, I felt like in the beginning that time slowed down, but then time sped up and mm-hmm. then it went, it went faster than it was before. Um, and so you're mm-hmm. really having to focus in on what's, what's essential, what's, um, mm-hmm. and then that ministry that missional question all the time. What's our mission? How does this help the mission? Mm. You know, there's lots of good ideas, lots mm-hmm. of good work. We get lots mm. of calls sometimes saying, Oh, I'd like to do this in the prison, or I'd like to do that in the prison. And it's a great idea. And God mm. bless those people as they do it. But that's not what we're doing. We're doing this. Mm-hmm. 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 So what, how do you stay on mission? 
Like, how do you keep that front of mind intentionally for the team? And how do you say no in a nice way? <laughs> I know. And, and, and saying no is, is for sure is difficult, but I think that's, that is for us, that is how we say no, that that is not, that is not our mission. And so as a, as a charity, we have a certain number of resources, whether they're financial or human capital or, mm-hmm. or whatever it is, mm-hmm. a certain amount of resources, this is what we can um, mm-hmm. do. So mm-hmm. an example of that, one of the things we worked on over the um, this COVID period was um, recording in our um, recording directories so that as somebody leaves the prison, what are the things that they need help mm-hmm. with? And, and of course it's food and it's employment and it's, and it's shelter and it's community. Those are, those are the basic things, but there's other things like where do they spend their recreational time? All to say, we have narrowed that in now to 57 key cities. Are there mm-hmm. more than 57 key cities in, in Canada? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But based on what we have and who we are, this is what we can do. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. everything outside of that become becomes a wonderful idea. Bless you as you do that. It's a no for us. And um, and then keeping the mission um, uh, front and center, it, it's just um, asking that question each time that we're that we're answering things that we're, you know, you, you have all your different things that you go through your governance, your HR, your financial stuff, your program stuff that all formulate your, your agendas um, each day and each week. And then the question, and how does this help us with our mission? And mm-hmm. how does this help us with our mission? Just keep mm-hmm. driving back to that question. Mm-hmm. And something that some people listening may say is, but Stacy, doesn't the government do this job? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, why laugh? But I hear that. I'm like, but this is what I pay taxes for. No. No. And and I and sometimes I feel sorry for institutions. They get a bad rap too. And and um I often hear, um, well, why aren't they rehabilitated? Well, it's actually not it's actually not the mandate. To rehabilitate mm-hmm. it's not if you look up the corrections canada mandate it's not to at one time it was mm-hmm. 20 years ago it was in the mandate to rehabilitate mm-hmm. it's not it's um it's essentially to uh to maintain public safety mm-hmm. by um by by caring for someone while they're while they're um living out their sentence mm-hmm. while they're mm-hmm. you know, while they're in custody mm-hmm. and that's the that's the essence of mm-hmm. the um of the mandate. It, it then slid down to um, public safety, keeping people in, in, in custody and, and care in custody and allowing providers to come in who, who provided rehabilitation um, uh, mm-hmm. programs. And mm-hmm. it isn't that anymore. Mm-hmm. So um, you have a big job. You have a big job. Yeah. I remember one of our brain shifts or the, one of the brain shifts I had to make in criminology was, People go to prison as punishment, not for punishment. So you don't go there to be like beaten. <laughs> that the for punishment, uh, that this being imprisoned is your punishment. So the focus is on punishment. <laughs> you know, you go there as punishment, not to be rehabilitated, yeah. so that you can go back and not reoffend. Um, and so you have a huge role because. Uh, we, we need this. We really because so recidivism or reoffending rates are high 
And so is there a difference in the recidivism rate for people who prison fellowship is involved with, or is the system just still so broken that we do what we can, but. Yeah. So those are studies that, um, you know, those are longitudinal studies that we have to take a look at. There's a, there's a two year uh, measurement. There's a five year measurement. There's a 10 year measurement. Um, that you have to do. So some of that um, data is is in place, but we do know whether it's prison fellowship or or even another organization that, that does this type of work. We do know that if there is a um, a relationship and a solid community connection that's ongoing and non judgmental, um, it drastically reduces the uh the recidivism rates if there's connection with the family if there's connection with the children it reduces the um it reduces the rate of of recidivism so in our bridge care program we look at both the static and the dynamic factors um that are involved in in risk um or that contribute to risk for Mm -hmm. uh for someone coming out and then that and that's exactly what we target because Mm -hmm. we want to uh absolutely see fewer victims and that's what and the work isn't about being sympathetic to prisoners it's a it's about fewer victims yeah oh it's so good and okay i need to say that this podcast that we're recording today is very different usually we don't go so deep into the actual ministry of the organization but i feel like you have an um a ministry that is misunderstood or a little understood. And so I I don't know. My perception is you just keep doing the good work that you're doing in your area, but maybe people don't know what you're actually doing because it's not as easy to package and market as children, for example. Um, But this is actually not just an adult who is affected. It is children. It is a whole community. Um, And so I really am glad that you allowed me to dig deep and talk about this. But what I would say is as a leader, because we talk about leadership, ministry, marketing um, on the Changemaker podcast, and you are such a changemaker. You really are. What would you say to other leaders, your peers across Canada, as they, you guys, we are all in this together. (laughs) So is there anything you would just like them to know? Or what would you say that you've learned in this season of change? It's been a great season of of trust. and, and, And yet, as I talk to other leaders, and I hear over and over their stories of preservation, how God has preserved them. It's it's that thing that it's like walking a tight a, a tightrope and and you have these whoa I'm gonna fall moments and 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 don't don't let that don't let that creep in what's gonna happen when COVID ends what's gonna happen when we see the full impact of the of the um, economy what's gonna happen when 25% of my donor base it, it, it's not your question get your eyes off of that and 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 just thank God, praise God, he's preserved you this far. He's going to continue mm-hmm. preserving you. I don't know how. It's none of my business. It's just going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just keep, um, we keep going. And mm-hmm. um, that's been a big lesson for me. Oh, it's so good. And I think as a fellow marketer, <laughs> you would also say, keep communicating, keep telling the story. Yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah, and you have to do that. It's not all going to happen you know, it's not all going to happen magically. You have to keep, you have to keep doing your, your work that you're doing, but don't, don't let the fear and the doubt um, or the confusion creep in. They're not for you. Mm -hmm. Put it down. Oh, that's so good. That's so good. 
And what I mean, I touched on this in our intro, but what people may not know about you is that as a hobby, you went to cooking school. Tell us a little bit about that. Like, I think that that's how you stay energized in doing this hard work. Like you do hard work that could be very, very heavy. So you stay fun by doing things like so. Why cooking school? How did you what did you do? Tell us about it. So, um, yeah, that was a great thing. My board um, definitely wanted me to to do something every week that was not um, that was not about um, crime and and um, and horrible statistics. And and so it was um, so I had to choose a I had to choose a hobby to uh, to get into. I've always loved cooking. I have cooked. um Cooked with my grandma since uh, as, as soon as I was old enough to stand on a kicked over milk crate um, and reach the counter, I have been uh, I have been cooking and uh, yeah I did I went back to George Brown and um, to to uh, work on work on chef papers and and uh, but I do it more of a hobby than uh, than anything so um, yeah and COVID has allowed me to do this great garden I added a an asparagus uh, bed and a potato bed this year and. and and, uh, and a greenhouse. So, uh, so good. <laughs> so good. And we are planning a culinary tour together. Of we are. Not, not just eating, but buying produce. Yes. <laughs> so that we can me- socially distance can. Yes. <laughs> do that. So, yeah, the, how we're going to do it, but we'll figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> but I do. I see this as actually a really important lesson for a leader is do something totally outside of your normal and don't feel guilty about it. Because I think that as leaders, we can feel guilty for having a hobby. Um, it's actually essential. Um, I, I think it's essential, not not even on the rest side, which I, I frequently get uh, accused of not taking enough of, but, but it's that creative, go mm-hmm. do something creative because your brain needs it to support mm-hmm. your work and what you're mm-hmm. doing. So yeah, don't feel guilty about it. You should feel guilty if you're not doing it. So good. Feel guilty if you're not, if you don't have a hobby. So if you're listening today, go find yourself a hobby. There has been no better time to do that. Um, And I, I, I am so grateful for you. I am so, so grateful for you. Is there anything you think that others should hear? Um, Anything that you think we missed? I think we've covered quite a bit. (laughs) We really have. We really have. Yeah. Yeah. But it's um, for sure. If if people want to get involved, it's um, you don't have to have any fear. And uh, we have great training programs, people that walk alongside you. Nobody goes in alone. Um, even on the even on the one eight hundred line, where you can which you can do right from your own house. You don't even have to leave mm-hmm. your own house to do it. Uh, those those types of thing. It is uh, it's a really life giving and meaningful um, work ministry. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. And how can people pray for the work you do today? If they're even if even they're like I can't volunteer, but I could pray for you after they listen to this which is huge i mean that's you know that's the the uh lifeblood of of uh, the ministry going forward for sure is prayer and and uh areas to pray for us pray for our children pray for our children that are that are home alone our angel tree kids um pray for those who are in prison um as well uh who don't have access to programming right now who don't have access to 
uh, positive role models and and uh, people that are speaking life into their uh, into their lives. Um, also, pray for us as an organization. You know, we work with the government, and and um, Christianity isn't always a welcome um, a welcome partner. And so, there's lots of uh, lots of things that that are difficult on that uh, mm-hmm. front, as you can imagine. So, pray for us in that, and and pray for our wisdom and our uh, and our discernment that those things would be free flowing in our um, in our leadership and in our and in our decisions. Mm-hmm. Stacy, thank you so much. I'm so grateful we got to have this conversation. And again, if you are looking for information, it's prisonfellowship.ca. And um, you can get in touch with the organization there, find in more information on just how you can be involved, what they do, and um, and what the need is, and get more informed. Um, th- these are people in the margins in our own communities. And with how many? 300? 357,000. 357,000 children across our country, um, they could very well be in your own neighborhood or at least in the school that your kids go to. So um, you, this affects us all. This really does. So thank you for doing the good work, Stacey. I'm so grateful for you um, and can't wait to connect with you again. Thanks, Ellen. It's been my pleasure to be here today. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Changemakers podcast brought to you by Graf Martin Integrated Marketing Solutions for Good. Graf Martin is Canada's leading integrated marketing and communications agency for nonprofit organizations seeking to do more good. If you need an agile, full service marketing agency to move your organization forward, we get it. Visit grafmartin.com to learn more and schedule your free consultation so that you can do more good.